Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're gonna get offended Please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Y'all, I'm going to tell you a story today. It's disturbing, to say the least, but I've been getting a lot of requests for this story. Actually, ever since I started the podcast, I've been getting requests to do this story in It takes place approximately six months after I left the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office as a detective and went to the Louisiana State Police as a criminal investigator. But I know the guys that worked the case, the detectives, and everyone that worked on the case, including the prosecutor. And I actually spoke with Sheriff Jason Ard. Um, We were were talking about Miss Barbara Blunt's case and I was asking him about this case, and he gave me some inside information. I just think it's a story that needs to be told. So I'm going to skip around a lot. And you know I'm raw and unscripted. And even though um, I did go through, and there were a lot of news articles, and there was even a television show on this, and I've looked at some of that, but I'm going to try to bring you inside and tell you things that you don't know about this case. So I'm going to call this case, I Forgot About Steve. And I'm going to tell you about the male in this case. His name was Cody Alexandria. And they spelled Cody C O U T Y. And Cody uh, was the oldest, I think, of like uh, 14 siblings, y'all. And they said he was, he was a great big brother. He was raised in a very strict religious family. He was a youth minister. By all accounts, just a, a really fine young man. He was born in 1985. And during his church 
goings and outings. And over the years, he met a young lady named Krista Baker. And she also was from a very religious family. Her father was a minister, et cetera. And they would meet at these church functions. And he ended up asking for permission to date Krista from her father. And they had my... 90% of the population today would describe as a very unique courtship, if you will. But uh, it was very strict. The father gave permission for them to start dating. It was very strict. And during the, this courtship, they could never be alone. And they couldn't even touch. Okay? I mean, they, it was very strict, guided, et cetera. But they, they seemed to be in love. And sometime later, Cody asked Chris's father to marry her and he consented. So he Cody proposed when both families were there. They were supposed to be going out to dinner and all of this and then they had the the big church wedding and, and Chris's father actually married them. And by all accounts it was just a perfect courtship and two fine young people. Now Krista traveled the world through her early years on mission trips to go and spread the word of God, right, and help people in, the, in other countries. I think they said she'd done like 17 mission trips or something like that. I may have that number wrong, but, I mean, she was very, very religious. And, of course, like I said, on the courtship, no touch, can't be alone, what have you. And, you know, she was madly in love with Cody. And so they get married, and they move down off of Watts Road in Livingston Parish. And y'all, that's it's kind of a rural area, but not totally rural. It's what we consider to be Coyell, C-O-Y-E-L-L. Actually, not that far from where I live, maybe 10 miles or so. And they lived there, and Cody had a job as a paramedic for Acadian Ambulance Service. And that's what he did. He was an EMT in Christus stayed home and took care of Cody, right? And that's how it went. And four months into the marriage, Cody went to work on a Friday night uh, at the end of June, and he did his 12-hour shift, and he comes home Saturday morning, and he notices his front door's ajar, and he opens the door, and you can immediately see the house had been ransacked, like the the kitchen area that you could see from the door. All the drawers were open. The TV had been moved. The DVR was missing. I mean, the house was just in shambles. So Cody goes looking for Krista, and he finds her in one of the spare rooms down on the floor uh, in front of the ironing board, and she's dead. She had been shot in the back of the head. Cody calls 911 and you know, pretty much screaming, send some help, send some help. My wife is down. And so they did. You know, all the uniform patrol guys roll out and then they get there and they observe uh, Krista, deceased, obviously, on the floor. And then they end up calling out the detectives. Detectives arrive 
and do what they do, right? Now, you're talking about Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office at the time. J- Jason Ard, who's now the sheriff, um, was the chief of operations. And he wasn't a kind of guy that would sit around and, and let this this kind of case come to him. He responded to the scene also. Of course, all the detectives get called out. Remember back then, y'all, I told you it was small, and then and they had like eight general detectives, et cetera. So whenever a homicide happened, pretty much everybody got called out, plus the whatever detectives were on call for the weekend. So they arrive, and Cody tells detectives that, just what I told you, that he went to work, and he came in, found the house ransacked, found her dead on the floor. And... Okay, that's fine, right? We got, we're going to work the scene, or they're going to work the scene. And so they would call off the Louisiana State Police Crime Lab. They cordoned off the whole area, let the crime lab come in and work the scene. And the crime lab re- recovered a 9-millimeter spent casing, shell casing, meaning that's the case by Christmas body. That's the case, and it came out of whatever firearm that killed her, right? Uh, oh, let me tell you this. Cody also tells them when they're there, and he's he's giving the statement. He says, "Am Krista's pregnant? Krista was pregnant, and um, that like three or four months pregnant. Okay, so now you you have this young bride who's has been murdered, and she was pregnant. So you know the detectives and in, in the sheriff's office." Of course, you're always going to be in the A game on homicide anyway, but now it's like really up there. So the, they recover the shell casing and they go back out to talk to Cody again. Now, Detective Chuck Watts, you have heard me talk about him in old stories and past episodes of Real Life Real Crime. He was my first trainer when I was in detectives, and I call him Dear Old Dad. Right, but but also call him Homicide Chuck because the thing that he would get excited about the most is a homicide. I mean, he had been doing it forever, well over twenty five years, probably at that time. And regular cases just pretty much didn't excite him, like burglaries and stuff like that. And I'll tell you a quick story. <laughs> Chuck is also the one who on the on the story Cajun Queen. When we were in there at the end of that long day and I hadn't eaten and he asked Calvin Bowden or he asked the, the victim in that case, who was a transvestite, he asked, he said, well, you know, what would your friends think about Calvin? And that's when the guy looked at Calvin and said, oh, they would think he's, he's cute. And then, then he turned to me and pointed and said, but him, golly, he's scrumptious, tall, dark and handsome eating that catfish with that hot sauce, and he's a Cajun queen, whatever, right? So Chuck was always kind of an instigator. He liked to play jokes. But uh, we had the back office back then, and uh, Chuck had, had been assigned a, a burglary of like a, a heavy piece of equipment. Somebody broke into it, and probably kids or whatever, not, not really important, but they left like a pry bar or something in there. And that probably had been sitting on his desk head and sending it in for fingerprint or whatever and however long. But the person who whose piece of equipment was was kind of a big wig in the parish. And Chuck did not like to get called on the carpet in front of Mr. 
uh, well, I call him Mr. Kearney, Chief Kearney Foster, right? So we were sitting there one day, and in, in, I, I forget who it was. It was back there with me. It may have been Brad Truel. But I said, watch this. When Chuck came in and he sat down at his desk, I said, hey, Chuck, that guy called. Or, he said, what guy? I said, the guy who's, who's uh, dozer got burglarized. I said, that, you know, that crowbar right there, he said he's pissed. So he said he wants to know about fingerprints or DNA off, off of that, that tool that you found that you recovered from this thing. And he said, he's, I said, he's going to call Mr. Curry. Boy, Chuck jumped up. <laughs> he slapped, ran and got a pair of gloves. He slapped him on and he got the fingerprints dust, dust out and he fingerprinted that thing. And then he ran out of the office. Oh, God, I got to go tell Stan. The Stan Carpenter was our chief of detectives. I got to go tell Stan because he was, you know, he, he just knew he was going to get called on the car for, for Mr. Kearney. And then when he ran out of there, I didn't think he was going to take it that serious. So I called Stan. I said, Hey, uh, Chuck's coming down there and it's, it's, it's bullshit that, you know, and this guy really didn't call in. I was just, just trying to get a rise out of him. And he came back about 10 minutes later, Chuck, red in the face he was so pissed off and the stand came in and chewed her ass i was like don't y'all have anything better to do than play stupid ass games but anyway if it was a homicide you wanted chuck work working it okay because he put his everything into it and he's a master at interview and interrogation and i gained a lot of my knowledge from him and a lot of my best techniques from him i adapted from chuck watts or dear old dad or homicide chuck but I was gone, and like I said, I'd left the state police maybe six months before, and you, you could better believe the body hit the ground. Chuck Watts was going to get the call no matter what. And so they call him out, and he goes to the scene, um, and he interviews the guy again. And meanwhile, they're sending other detectives around uh, uh, to, to see if anybody, you know, to talk to neighbors. It's kind of rural. Like I said, the houses are not that close together. And during the story... Chuck asked Cody, did he own a nine millimeter pistol? And Cody says, oh, yeah, 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 I, I did. I did. He said, I sold it yesterday. And so well, who'd you sell it to? And he said, well, I sold it to a guy named Steve. And he said, who's Steve? And he couldn't give any more information. I mean, he said, just basically said, he said, well, he just, he drove us a, a small truck and it had a dent in the side of it. And he said, but I sold him the pistol for $400 and my, my nine millimeter. And he just couldn't give me more information on it. But he said he came inside my house and Krista actually served us lemonade. And, and we sat here on the couch and when, when we did the transaction and he took the pistol and he left. So now you got a suspect, right, Steve? You're thinking you don't know that the gun matches, but you're thinking... The nine, there's a nine millimeter casing, and now listen. The, Cody's family had arrived by this time. Krista's family had arrived. I mean, the, this big, strong support uh, through their faith and you know, form. And by all accounts, Cody was just just a great guy. I mean, just a pure as a driven snow, right? So while the other detectives are out talking to the neighbors, and then they get the information about Steve. They start asking, hey, did you see anybody over there yesterday? Uh, did you see the vehicle? You know, can you give me any kind of description, et cetera? Well, one of the neighbors said, you know what? I didn't see anybody over there yesterday. Uh, he said, but I can tell you one thing. 
Cody is always right over there and points to the location behind his house shooting his pistol. And so what they did was the detectives went over to where Cody shot his pistol, and guess what's on the ground? A bunch of empty shell casings. And so they collected some of those, took them into evidence, and they compared it against the shell casing that was found next to Chris's body. And guess what? It's an identical match, okay? And no doubt that the two, the casings that the neighbor had seen, Cody practicing with that ejected from the gun when he was practicing with it there that came from the same firearm that killed Krista. So, but you still got to work the Steve angle, right? And so the process is seen and, and go through everything, et cetera. And then, you know, that, that takes a long time, y'all. It's not like it is in a movie. I mean, you're talking seven, eight, nine hours. Um, then, Crystal was sent for the autopsy, and it turns out, I think she was close to 16 weeks pregnant. So now you have the murder of Krista, and, and Louisiana charges is feticide, a murder of an unborn baby. It's just a tough thing, a horrible, horrible case, and a you know, tragedy for everybody involved. And listen, my my deepest sympathies go out to to everybody's family that's involved in this, right? And so, but it goes on and it comes back around. But, they, you know, and when I was talking to Sheriff Art about it and, and he was giving me some of the inside scoop, he said, Woody, he said, you know, let me, let me ask you this. He said, when we got there and we go in, he said, every single drawer in the house was pulled open. He said, I'm talking about, when he said, you're looking at the kitchen and every single kitchen drawer is pulled open. He said, what does that tell you? I said, well, if the boy isn't into dope, now we've worked cases like that where every single drawer is pulled open, but it's because somebody was looking for dope. And, and I said, if he didn't have dope in the house, it tells me it's staged. He said, he said he also owned a bunch of firearms and had them in the house. And he said, none of his firearms were missing and every single drawer was pulled open. Some of her stuff was missing, but not all of it. He said the DVD player had been unscrewed. Now, listen, if you're going in to rob somebody, and you're gonna, even when they're not homicides involved in the cases I've worked, when people go in just to steal electronics, they yank them out, right? First of all, you're not trying to leave fingerprints or DNA or whatever, and they just simply yank it out, and they get another cord later on. This one had been... The, the person had taken the time to move the television and unscrew the DVD player. And I mean, why would you take a DVD player and leave all the firearms? Uh, I mean, you know, most of the times when kids do burglaries, they just take the stuff that they can carry, but uh, they certainly would have chosen a firearm over a DVD player. But he also told me, he said, Woody, she was found face down right in front of the ironing board. And the the iron was on the iron board, and when we got there, the iron is still hot. Well, problem with that is, y'all, the irons have built-in shutoff switches, right? So, it, I mean, she'd been down a long time, and and so if she's killed twelve hours before, that iron wouldn't have been hot, or it, it appears that maybe the iron had just been 
set up and plugged in recently. And right? I mean, the, the shutoff switch would have been on there. It wouldn't have been hot. Y'all, it keeps them from burning houses down. He said it just stunk. He said it just didn't feel right. And, you know, he had, he had a bad feeling about it. So what they do is Chuck gets Cody up to the sheriff's office, get him on his turf. And I told you to Chuck's a master at it. And I learned this trick from him too. And so now Cody's been up for a while and he's given a story uh, about coming home. You know, he's all distraught and the crying and everything and the family's up there and they're giving him hugs and praying with him and all this. Before he goes back, Chuck gets him back there and he's not going to come at him hard to start with. He's going to be, he's going to be soft. And, and, and let me tell you, Chuck, Chuck is a tall, good looking guy. Uh, he's an older gentleman, uh, um, gray hair, like the silver Fox, right. But always kept himself physically fit. Um, very, very intelligent. And when, and as far as law enforcement concerns, just uh, interrogation is simply one of the best. So Chuck's already been dealing with him, but now he knows he has some holes in the boy's story. He knows, well, the the nine millimeter casing from outside that he practiced with and the one inside does certainly doesn't prove that Cody did anything wrong. I mean, the guy could um certainly Steve could have came back and and killed her and robbed the place, right? So he really doesn't have anything to go on. And now the iron being hot. Uh, to the touch still is a little bit, but certainly that's not even probable cause uh, um, to go against Cody Hart or anything. But Chuck pulls old trick out of the bag and he gets him in there and, and I can just see him, you know, Hey Cody, you know, again, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. He's very soft spoken. Sorry for your loss. And, and, and we know you, lo- you loved her so much. We know you love Chris so much. And this is just a tragedy. And now your baby's gone. And, you know, he said, well, we got to catch the person who did this, Cody, and you got to help us. And, and, and I w- what I want you to do is tell me everything that you could remember from the time you woke up Friday morning to the time you came home and you found Krista murdered Saturday morning. I, I think he called it like 550-something in the morning, called 911, and tell me every single thing. Now, Cody starts to tell a story and he can remember everything he woke up he did this he did that goes through his whole day friday including getting dressed for work went to work um even some of the calls that that he did while he was at work and guess where he hung out some of his downtime uh on the ambulance Uh, he even hung out at denver springs police department and shot the shit with the cops that were there right and went through his whole thing until he came home and found Krista. What he saw, the drawers being open and everything, and then found Krista face down. And there's one problem. He forgot to mention Steve again. Totally left him out. And so I, I know when he reaches that point of the day, I know Chuck's sitting there thinking, oh, okay, let's, let's hear about Steve, let's hear about Steve. Yeah, but when he didn't say it, Chuck's not going to interrupt him, right? When, when, because the one thing that never changes is the truth, and that is the honest guy truth. I probably learned that from Chuck, but I say it all the time still. The one thing that never changes is the truth. Well, Cody got caught so 
much up in his story. And you know, remember, he's he's got all the family support, and he's been through this ordeal. And it's however many hours later, I'm some it's later in that same day, he forgets to talk about Steve coming to buy the pistol that killed Krista. All right, and I know inside Chuck's inside his head, Chuck's cutting flips. He's just waiting for him to finish up. And so when he finishes up, Chuck closes the distance on him, says, hey, look at me. You killed Krista. And, and before the boy could say anything, and I tell you all this because I've seen it. I've been in that same room with him so many times. Before he could say anything, he would have cut him off, said, no, 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 don't even say anything. You killed her. There's no denying that you killed her. And then the question is, are you a monster or was it some kind of accident? Because I don't believe now he, Chuck wouldn't have gone hard against him yet. You know, he would have said, I don't believe you're a bad person. You're a good Christian man. I certainly don't think you meant to kill your wife or your baby. Well, what's he doing at this point, y'all? You're not going to go against him automatically hard and get him to shut down and not say anything. Because at this point, even though he left Steve out, that's not going to get you a conviction. Okay? I mean, certainly it's damning on uh, Cody's part, but it's not going to get you a conviction. So you just want him to change his story at all. And so Chuck says, dude, you forgot about Steve. And Cody was like, oh. And and he said, no, you got to tell me what happened. You know you killed her. But if it's an accident, you got to let me help you and, and tell your story. He would have said, other than that, you know, all I can think is you're this dirtiest, cold-blooded murderer that I've ever met in my entire career that you can execute your wife and your unborn baby. Well, Cody changes his story and breaks down and starts crying. And he says, he said, I shot her. And he said, I was going to sell my pistol. And so I was getting ready to go to work and I was playing with the pistol and I was moving through the house, kind of like doing like SWAT tactics or whatever, going clearing rooms. And Crystal was in the, in the room, in the closet, in that room. He said, and I came around the corner. I accidentally brushed the gun against the back of her head and the trigger went off and she went down and he said, I panicked. And so I, I went around and opened all the drawers and stuff. And I tried to make it look like a burglary. Okay. From a detective standpoint, you got him right. I and mean, you got, you got him to change the store, but you don't want to stop there, but you don't want to, you don't want to put him on the defensive yet. You've got to get something to verify that at least that his lie part is true. And so Chuck would have asked him after Cody tells everything right that he did. He would ask some questions like, what did you do with the DVR? Or the main one would be, what did you do with the firearm? And he said he threw it out down the road and he gave the location to Jason or the sheriff now. Told me, he said, I actually went and with him and recover the firearm and it was down by the Bayview Tavern and y'all heard me talk about the Bayview before in Trust No One It's a Swamp Bar it wouldn't have been that far that's half 
probably halfway between my house and, and Cody's house. So he says he accidentally shot her in the back of the head and then he, he stays to look like a burglary. Then he went down and threw the pistol out and that's confirmed that they were able to confirm that that pistol was the one who, that shot Krista. And so at some point, Chuck would have started ratcheting up more after they, he knows they get the pistol because you want to get more out of him, right? You want to try to say, you know, what, what else? You know, anything damning that you can use against him. Because right now, the only thing he's admitted to is, is if, if he was telling the truth, is a negligent homicide. Um, I mean, still a bad, bad deal. But at some point, Cody's just shuts up and, and that's it. He's that's his story and he's sticking to it. It was accidental. I was playing around with the gun. I, I happened to come to the room and it brushed against the back of her head and accidentally went off. Well, good. They booked him on second degree murder and first degree feet aside for the, the, the death of the unborn baby. And obstruction of justice for pulling out all the drawers, et cetera, and, and lying and, and saying it was a burglary. Now, the detective work doesn't end there. there. There's a lot of things that they have to do, and they put the case together from the, the, the shell casing, uh, the, the neighbors witnessing him practicing with the gun and, and then his lies about where they recovered the gun and everything else. And, but they didn't get questioned about was the iron still being hot. And so it's, it's a lot of stuff that you have to put together to present to the district attorney. Now they did it. They did the best, you know, they, they, did, they did a fine job at investigative wise, but dear old dad, homicide Chuck, got him another great confession. No, it's not a full confession. He's not going to say I went in there and executed her and my unborn baby, but at least he got him to take the out of an accident. But the investigation goes on and it's uncovered that Cody Alexandra is not the pious saintly guy that he appeared to be during his no touch uh, can't be alone courtship with Krista. He was working. He had just, I think, recently graduated from paramedic school and was working for Acadian Ambulance. Well, on Acadian Ambulance, they ride two to an ambulance. And that's long nights, y'all. I mean, if, if they're not on a call, they're sitting somewhere, they'll clean up the ambulance. And we always had a great relationship with our Acadian drivers, right? And, and on every major scene, I mean, you had to use them. But turns out, Cody, even though he couldn't have alone time with Krista or touch Krista, he was certainly getting it somewhere else. And he was having an affair with his co-worker that he rode the ambulance with. Now, of course, they would try to downplay it. When it came out, it tried to be downplayed as... You know, just kissing and, and fondly, maybe stuff like that. But he admitted, or they, the, the detectives proved that they spent the night in a hotel room together. All right. And twisted part of it is Cody actually took his wedding china 
and used it to place settings, two full place settings, and used it to set up and serve dinner to this other girl, right? This is after he's married and before Chris's death. And um, so, I mean, you, you got a, a mindset going on here, right? Uh, uh, evidently, you know, pure evil. Um, but the one thing Cody couldn't have it happen is a divorce because of his religious upbringing, et cetera. Now, he's booked in. You're going to trial, people. You heard me talk about it so many times. Second-degree murder, the least you can get is life in prison. Plus, he's looking at the the killing his unborn baby on top of that. Why, why not death penalty? I don't know. I mean, that that's just as I just don't know of a worse case that you can do than, than killing somebody that's so sweet and innocent and lived a whole life to help other people other than you kill your own baby. You know that the baby is, is in there. Uh, it's over three months. You, you kill her and you kill your child at the same time. Why? So you could be with another woman going to trial. Cody at some point quits cooperating naturally, right? He's had enough to say, uh, but Chuck Watts, the detectives, I mean, it's one thing, them backing it up, it's one thing to have to tell somebody your family member's been murdered, right? But it's another thing we got to walk out there and tell all these people, the parents and them, that your son-in-law murdered your daughter and your grandchild, right? I mean, it's just... Devastating for that family. Now, Cody, and I don't know where he got the money from, but Cody hired Lewis Unglesby. And Lewis Unglesby is widely considered as the best criminal defense attorney in the state of Louisiana. And I know he's not cheap. All right? I'm, I'm talking about like the most expensive, but he has maybe, I don't know, maybe Lewis did it for for the publicity. I doubt it because he doesn't need the money, but he is just simply the best and he's a showman and he's a hell of a defense attorney and his son now works with him, Lance Unglesby. And, but so Cody retained them somehow as his lawyer because you're going to trial second degree murder. The least you can get is life in prison without the possibility of probation or parole. So, it's a free shot. I mean, it's a jury trial. Lewis Unglesby is a master of juries. He's pulled out defeats uh, on cases that there's no way the prosecutor should have lost, right? Um, so they're going to trial, and Lewis Unglesby tried to get Cody a plea bargain before the trial. And Scott Perilou, the district attorney for the 21st Judicial, that said no, because the family, Krista's family, even though her father is a, is a pastor or a minister, whatever you want to call him, even though he's a Christian, he's not a pacifist. He doesn't, he wants Cody Alexander to say that he killed her and that he didn't, he didn't want that, the accident thing that, oh, on the, the firearm, y'all, and that it was Smith and Wesson M&P nine millimeter. There's no way you can accidentally fire that firearm. 
part of its safety on it is you have to, when you hold it, you have to be holding it tight from the back. There's a safety on the back. It's like a pressure point safety on the back of the firearm. If you're not, if you don't have a firm grip on the weapon, you cannot pull the trigger. So anyway, I know I'm skipping around. When we go into the trial, the prosecutor, of course, it's the district attorney, Scott Perilou, but the, his top prosecutor is Charlotte Bear, And I think her last name is Foster now. She's actually a judge. And the, she is the top dog. She was like, at the time, would have been the Chuck Watson. She was one they're going to call on the biggest case, the biggest high-profile case. Y'all have heard me talk about her before. And she's just absolutely one of the best prosecutors in the entire world. We butted heads sometimes, she and I did, but the I have nothing but respect for her. And I've seen her work wonders for the jury. Now, certainly she knows Lewis Onglesby's capabilities, in, but we got the case, right? And and they, they, they go for voir dire, which is jury selection, and that's the term for jury selection in Louisiana, and they end up picking six men and six women to hear the case. Charlotte starts the case and starts putting on the first responders and then the crime scene techs and then Chuck, and they go through all the lies the boy told and everything. Uh, then they go through the affair, and she, I mean, she puts on a really great case. Um, on the defense side, Louis Ongsby is, is, you know, throwing shade wherever he can on Charlotte's witnesses, and he's, I mean, doing the best job that could be done from the defense standpoint because he's that good. Um, goes through it, and when you get done, not the trial's done, but Charlotte's done, the prosecution rests, right? The defense gets on, and who did they put on the stand? Cody Alexander. And he took the stand. He was on the stand for over an hour and a half. But Lewis Unglesby did not question him. He let his son, Lance, question him. And he was asked about it afterwards, and he said, the reason why is I felt that the jury, that the my son had spent a bunch of time uh, with Cody and they were almost at the same age. And I felt the jury would feel the connection between them met um, rather than an old man asking questions. So he gets up there and he cries and he boohoos and even says, Oh, this shouldn't have happened. It was an accident. We, we should have a however many month old baby now, I think an eight month old baby and just cries and how he loves her and um and he's so sorry and but he's sticking with the gun accidentally went off and I mean just the biggest boohoo poor pitiful me show um played the, the Christian angle up the whole nine yard child is pretty sad from the accounts I heard of it not sad but disgusting uh, and he professes how much he loved her and everything else. Well, okay. Boom. Fast forward. Trial's over. They give their closing arguments. Charlotte's, the, the prosecution side, basically is, hey, he lied so much. She pointed out every single time he lied. She said, why would you believe him now that it's an accident? And included the affair and everything else. So the jury retires, meaning they go, do what they do, right? They go to the, to the jury room and they start to deliberate. And now the, the poor family, I'm talking about Krista's family, 
had to sit through the trial. They showed the crime scene photos. Oh, let me tell you this: the the autopsy. It was the the pistol was literally put to the back of Krista's head. I think the back left side in contact wound, execution style. I mean, there's just no way in hell that it, it was an accidental anything. And anyway, so I, it, even after he shoots her, right, he's a, he's an EMT. I mean, why, why isn't the, their blood on the different sides of her face, wherever you rolled over and checked her pulse or tried to give her CPR or whatever? Hey, at least you maybe could have gave her CPR long enough to keep the baby alive. They, they maybe could deliver a four-month-old baby. He didn't do any of that, y'all. He didn't do it because he meant to kill her, right? And, and the, the theory was that she had found out that he was having an affair with his coworker, and she was actually gathering clothes out of that closet, and they had been arguing about it. She was gathering clothes out of that closet to leave, and he came up behind her and shot her like the little bitch that he is. But jury's deliberating. And you never know what a jury's going to do. I mean, you just don't know uh, to they come back. And, but it certainly seems like a slam dunk. And, and that Charlotte did just absolutely phenomenal job. But the jury was out, I mean, like six hours or something like that. And the longer a jury is out, the worse it is for the prosecution. And that, that's just simply the truth. That means they're arguing over something. There's a, there's a chance it can come back as a hung jury. I mean, I've had cases where it took them longer to elect a jury foreman than it does to come back with a guilty verdict, right? When you know they got it. So somebody in there is holding something up and the idea of the plea bargain gets brought back up and Scott Perilou, the district attorney met with the family and said, look, it could be, you know, a hung jury and we don't know. And, you know, there's a chance there's a chance we might lose it. And I mean, what, what he can get life in prison if we get the conviction or they can come back and then be a hung jury and you have to go through it all over again, or they can give a not guilty verdict. And what do you want to do? And I th- ultimately, the family agreed to take the plea bargain. And as long as Cody had to admit that he killed her, that it wasn't an accident. Okay. So they worked it out and stopped the trial. And they worked it out where Cody pled to manslaughter and beat aside and obstruction of justice. And he took 55 years as his sentence. Mm. But it's a guaranteed lockup, right? And, and I mean, he, he's gone 55 years. The family understands. and But the main thing is, is he had to stand up and say, I know I, I, I shot her. You know, uh, I killed her. Uh, um, and, you know, he can't, couldn't say it was an accident. He can't, couldn't say it was a negligent homicide or whatever, manslaughter. Hey, I actually shot her, and I killed her. And he did that. And he uh, Judge Zoe, Zoe Waggis back, sentencing her the plea bargain to 55 years with Louisiana Department of Corrections. And that's it. I mean, that's a tough, tough deal. Uh, I think it was excellent work on behalf of the of the sheriff's office to make chicken salad out of chicken shit because they had nothing 
and they ultimately built it up. And I think it was an excellent workout at Charlotte and, and, and the district attorney's office uh, to go up against the best, probably Louis Ongesby is probably one of the best in the world, a, a defense attorney. And when it went up against him, took it, took him head on and, and ultimately taking the plea bargain. Well, you know what? Cody is now, he can't live this highest, um, I'm holier than thou life. And he's certainly not sleeping with his coworker anymore. And, and, you know, going to church on Sunday morning and, and, you know, doing anymore. I think, I don't know if I told you that he was even a youth minister at one point. So, Guess what? Him going to do time for murdering his wife is one thing, but him going to do time for executing his wife and killing this four-month unborn baby, he's going to do a hard time. And that's it. So, y'all, the lifers who want to hear that story, I know it's not one that I work directly, but I was able to give you a lot of information that you... couldn't get from the news accounts or um, Discovery ID did a show on it called Happily Never After. And I, I glanced at it. It's a lot of Hollywood fluff stuff. The, um, but that's, I mean, there's a lot of information out there on that. And like I said, I did read some of the article stuff, but I'm going to thank Jason R. Sheriff R. for uh, giving me some the inside scoops in that's it. It's a horrible story. Uh, my heart goes out to the family. Uh, actually, both families. I mean, Cody's family certainly is suffering from thinking that their oldest, who's this pious guy, that, you know, it really was the devil in disguise. So, but um, that's it. And horrible story. Horrible, 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 senseless murder. Mm. I don't know, but I want, I want to thank each and every one of y'all for listening. I want to thank you for liking and sharing real life, real crime. I want to tell y'all that we're over 2.1 million listens now and growing every day. Also our, our real life, real crime friends, fans and crew page. That's our private page on Facebook past over 20,000 members this week we're growing over 200 members per day it's crazy so y'all go check it out there's a lot of true crime stuff on there uh all our i call we call it the crew k-r-e-w-e-s louisiana term like a mardi gras term for a parade group um but it's great stuff on there and we have a, a bunch of other we have the lanyard page real life real crime lanyard page which is where fans can go and post anything they want to that's not true crime related because we keep the crew page strictly to true crime and there's a lot of great read. If you like true crime, go join it. Uh, um, Lanyette page. It's a private group. Also send us an invite and our dream team moderators get you approved. Shout out to the dream team moderators for approving a thousand something people last week for uh, the crew page. Um, Y'all, I get a lot of friend requests every day, every day. And I can't, accept any more friends to my private Facebook account because they limit you at 5,000. So I have a Woody Overton public figure page on Facebook. Send me the request there and I promise you I'll approve you and, uh, the, uh, and, and I interact with you on there 
et cetera. But I can't, I'm not ignoring you. I just, I cannot accept any more friends on there. Say, if you send me a friend request, send it to the public page and follow me on Instagram at the at symbol, real life, real crime, or at Overton Woody. And I've been putting new stuff on there every day. Some of it's really funny. Couple dances and stuff like that. Um, you should probably get a kick out of it if you go give us a give me a follow, please, on there. And I just patron members, thank you so much for your support uh, as always. Um, everybody else, thank you for liking us and sharing us. And I, I just really appreciate you. Now, I said this on the last episode, and I'm going to do it, lifers. Be a hero. Give the gift of life. My personal mission is to get people to sign up to be an organ donor. LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, is the nonprofit that runs it for for Louisiana. And y'all are saving lives every day. There are so many people out there that are waiting on organs uh, that are going to die if they don't get it. So if you... You can go to lopa.org slash LTC and click on that. It takes like two minutes, and you can sign up to be an organ donor. And no, you don't have to be in the state of Louisiana. You can sign up from out of state also. And uh, you can select when when you go to that site and they have a click down. How did you hear about it? Uh, Choose L. LTC Criminal Justice that stands for Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center Criminal Justice and they also have one on there for real life real crime lifers so lifers be a hero give the gift of life and I'm Woody Overton your host of real life real crime the podcast and until next time forever don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay.